Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Danny Strange. Thanks for joining us today. This is week two of six in our Harvest series. We're breaking down, sharing our faith into very simple terms. The Bible describes evangelism like a harvest, that we cultivate the ground and plant seeds and reap a harvest. And so this week and next week and last week, we're talking about cultivating relationships, cultivating the soil. So if you if have, my mouth stopped working. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Pull out your outlines if you'd like. Paul writes this chapter, the Apostle Paul, in response to some critics in the Corinthian community who are starting to feel that Paul is not a true apostle. He's just in it for the money. He's a phony. And so Paul responds this way in 1 Corinthians 9. We'll read verses 1 through 22. Actually, 23. Paul says to the Corinthians, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack a right not to work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much that we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I've not used any of those rights. I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. That in the preaching of the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, 
I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, we look at the example of the Apostle Paul and the way that he went after gospel ministry. Became all things to all people, so that by all means he might save some of them. And we pray that you would ignite a fire, a passion in our hearts to reach the lost as well. Pray that you would turn our hearts towards people in our family and in our neighborhood and in our workplaces and in our community who don't know you. That you would give us opportunities this week, not just to share the gospel with them, but to serve them, to love them. And that we would be bold and take those opportunities. And we pray that you would do amazing things as we surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at your outline, there's a deep, penetrating question at the top. Maybe you've been thinking about it this whole morning. Maybe you snuck out and went to 7-Eleven during the worship. If you won the lottery today, would you quit your job tomorrow. How many of you would quit your job if you won the lottery? Very good. How many of you would not quit your job if you won the lottery? That's a lot of people not quitting their jobs. You know, if you won the lottery, you wouldn't have to work anymore, right? That wasn't a trick question. Chances are, if you would not quit your job if you won the lottery, you are either unemployed, (laughs) retired, or very passionate about what you do. It's interesting how many people raise their hand at that question. Or maybe all of you are serving as medical missionaries overseas or something. Or maybe God has placed you in a place that you know that he has called you to be there. Whether you're a doctor or a missionary or a contractor or a stay-at-home mom who might be thinking, well, I couldn't quit my job if I wanted to. <laughs> Chances are you're doing it because you're passionate about it. You stay-at-home moms, if you won the lottery, you could quit your job. You could hire a nanny, hire a housekeeper. Think about this. Nudge your husband about this. You could hire a chef, and you could spend all your time shopping and hanging out with your friends and doing whatever ladies like to do, playing baseball or something. I don't know. (laughs) But you're thinking, no, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to leave my children. It's a calling. It's a passion. God has put that on your heart. And even if you got paid for it, well, it might make it a little better. But even if you could, you would not step away from that thing. Some of you are teachers, and chances are you didn't sign up to be a public school teacher for the money, or a private school teacher for the money. Chances are you signed up for that because you have a passion for kids. If you're a lawyer, you signed up for that, maybe for the money, 
But then along the way, you realize that God has you there for a different reason. For the people that you're reaching out to through your firm, through the people that you're defending as a lawyer. Saying, you know what? God has put me here to bring justice, appropriate justice into people's lives and image God in this way. Chances are you wouldn't quit your job because you realize God has you there for a reason. Here at Neighborhood Church, our purpose, we always say it's life transformation through following Christ. Just like the Apostle Paul here, our passion is for the lost. And so many of you are part of this church family because your passion is the same. You see yourself at work as a missionary. You see yourself in your community as a missionary. You see yourself in your family as an image bearer of God and someone who is called to bring the gospel to lost people. I've met people at our church who have had opportunities to be promoted and move away to a bigger and better job and have said no because they didn't want to stop serving at Neighborhood Church. I said, I couldn't leave the Cross Streets Homeless Ministry. It doesn't matter how much money they pay me. I couldn't move away and, and leave my community here because God is doing great things. I couldn't walk away from the men's ministry. I couldn't leave my Sunday school class that I'm teaching over there in the children's ministry. You're passionate. You're passionate about it. God has put this fire in your heart for the people around you. And nobody could pay you enough to walk away from that. If the Apostle Paul had a passion, it was the lost. And he was a man who was on an unwavering mission to reach as many people as possible. Did you hear that coming out in 1 Corinthians 9 as we read it? He is fired up to reach lost people. For those of you passionate people out there, you may notice that the problem sometimes with being a passionate person is you tend to bulldoze over people on the road to your passion. Have you ever done that? I mean, you're so fired up about work that you don't know anyone in your neighborhood, right? Your neighbor parks behind you and kind of inches in your driveway and you can't get out in the morning. And you're so passionate about getting out of there that you might scream at him a little bit or leave a note on his window like, back up, right? You're not thinking about him. You're thinking about where you want to be. We have this place God has sent us. Paul sent, God sent Paul to the lost people, and as a result, he went after it so hard that there were some people around him that didn't understand him. These Corinthians looked at him, and even though Paul had a great ministry with the church at Corinth, rumors started to be spread that Paul was a phony. They didn't care about people, that he was in it for the money. I was interesting, with passionate people, a lot of times rumors just kind of roll off their back. You criticize them and they just kind of wave you away and keep running after it. This rumor, for some reason, stopped Paul in his tracks. It was one that just cut him at his heart. I was thinking, if you were a teacher, if you are a teacher, like I said, chances are you didn't do it because you want to get rich through it. Chances are you signed up to be a teacher for the kids. You wanted to pour into kids the next generation. You wanted to train them up. You wanted to serve them. You wanted to bring the gospel to them in whatever way that you could. And so you spend so much time every night working on lesson plans, every summer thinking about September because you want your role in that classroom to change lives for eternity. And a lot of rumors just kind of bounce right off of you, right? Someone might make fun of the school system. You don't care. Who cares? Somebody might make fun of teaching styles or curriculum. Who cares? You just kind of bounce that off of you. But if somebody came to you and they said, you know what? I know your deal. You don't care about kids. You're a teacher because it's easy. You get summers off. It's a government job so you can't get fired. 
you probably get a hefty paycheck. You work nine months a year, five days a week, like eight to three, and you get paid for that year-round. I see what you did here. You realized you couldn't make it in any other field, and so you decided to take the easy route and teach. Some of you want to come up here and kill me, even though I'm making up the story right now, right? Because <laughs> that rumor is different. That rumor is cutting to the heart of why you signed up for this thing. It's about the kids. You work long hours around the clock. You run after this thing for the kids, for the kids, for the kids. And if somebody comes and says, no, 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 you're a phony, it makes your blood boil. That's what they did to Paul. His passion was for the lost, and a rumor comes that Paul is in it for the money. And so he stops and U-turns and just goes after these people. And he kind of starts out by saying, are we seriously having this conversation? Because a lot of people can claim I'm not an apostle, but you? I had a harvest with you guys. I've changed your lives. God has done amazing things in our community through me to you. Are you really making this argument? He says here in, in these long amounts of verses, you know how long we spent talking about that this morning? He says, this is my defense. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment to me. Don't we have a right to food and drink? Paul's first argument to these people is there's nothing wrong with getting a paycheck for what I do. Don't we have a right to food and drink? He says, if you're a soldier, do you have to pay your own way to go to battle? If you manage a vineyard, can't you eat some grapes along the way? If you milk cows for a living, can't you drink some? Don't you understand that whatever field God has placed you in, you're allowed to make a living while you're doing the thing God has called you to do. It says the Bible commands it. You don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. That's not for the ox's sake. God has made it so that if you're doing work of gospel ministry, you make your living in the gospel. It says there's nothing wrong with a paycheck. But then he turns the corner and says the phrase that maybe no one expected. He says, even though there's nothing wrong with a paycheck, I've never gotten one. He says, we did not use this right that we have. There's nothing wrong with a paycheck, but I've never accepted a paycheck. And it's interesting, you wonder why Paul spent so much time talking about his right to get a paycheck just to say, Oh, by the way, and I never got one. You can almost feel the people saying, oh, we get it. He wants money now. <laughs> and so Paul quickly says, no, no, no. Uh, it's nothing wrong with a paycheck. I've never accepted a paycheck. But I'm not writing this in verse 15 in the hope you will do such things for me. I don't want a paycheck. He says there's one reason why I do this job and I do it for free. There's one reason that I do this and pour myself out for these people. Even though it doesn't just mean a little money, it means zero money for me. There's one reason that I will never accept money for doing what I'm doing. It says, I'm not writing this in the hope that you would do such things for me. I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. And you would think that's what they would jump on. Paul says, no, I don't want money. I just want to brag about how I do it for free. And he keeps talking that boasting language. He says, when I preach the gospel, I can't boast because I'm compelled to preach the gospel. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. Paul says, I boast about it. I have a reward in it. I preach the gospel and no one can give me money because I want the reward, the boasting that comes with doing it for free. And we go, oh man, you're that kind of guy? The reason that the Corinthians don't jump all over Paul for this and the reason that Paul doesn't take an extra paragraph to explain, okay, now here's what I mean when I say this. Because the word boast there doesn't mean brag. It's a word that's hard to describe. It's a, a word that describes the overjoyed, like, amazingness, that feeling. See why it's so hard to describe? That feeling that comes when you serve someone for free that, that you ought to get money for. Now imagine you're driving down the freeway. And as you're going, you see in the distance a car on the side of the road and there's a woman standing next to it. And so you pull over and you see this lady just kind of like staring at her car. And so you get out. And you say, hey, wh- hey what's going on? And you think, I don't know how to fix cars. I hope she doesn't say it's broken, right? <laughs> She's like, I-, I ran out of gas and I don't get paid till Friday. And I've got like $5 in my pocket, but I was on my way to buy food for my kids and I'd go to the gas station, but you can't even buy one of those little red gas cans for $5. And if I leave it here, they'll tow it and I'll have to pay to get it out, and I can't afford that. And if I call a tow truck, I couldn't afford to pay the guy, and so I'm just standing here trying to figure out what to do. How many of you would say, okay, see you later? Nobody? Really? That guy. (laughs) Chances are you'd say, you know what, let me me help you out. I'll, I'll just go get a little bit of gas and... You go down to the gas station, you buy one of those little red things, and you fill it up with gas. You come and you fill it in her car. And, and chances are you'd even say, you know what, why don't you follow me to the gas station? Let me fill it up the rest of the way for you. And so she's standing there, and you can see in her eyes, she's thinking, I don't know how I'm going to repay this guy for this. And she says, while the gas is filling up, you know what, I only have five bucks, but let me give it to you. How many of you would take the money? You wouldn't take the money? I mean, you just spent like 60 bucks to fill up her car. You wouldn't even take $5? Right, chances are you'd say, no, 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 I can't, I can't, take, I can't take your $5. If, even if she said, you know what, let, let's do this. Once I get paid on Friday, give me your address, I'll write a check to you, I'll mail it to you. Chances are you would say, no, I don't want you to pay me back. Let me do this for you for free. It almost cheapens the experience if you get paid back for it. Because what you want to say is, I'm doing this because I care for you. I'm not doing this because I expect that you're going to give me money for it. Remember my parents told me one time they got stuck stranded on the bottom of a hill and a guy gave him a ride up to the top of the hill and got some gas for him and all that kind of stuff. And as they got out of the car, they said, hey, how, how much can we pay you to, that you helped us to do this? And the guy said, a hundred bucks should be good. Right? <laughs> That's like unexpected. Right? Because when a stranger helps you, it's supposed to be for free. <laughs> Don't go and take advantage of strangers. That's not the purpose of this message. Paul says, that's how I feel about the gospel. The reason I won't accept money for it is because I have to preach the gospel. God blinded me one time and told me I had to. So I have to do that. Paul says, but I don't have to do it for free. So I can go and serve people. I can go and bring the gospel to lost people. And and I could accept money for it. I should accept money for it. God commands you to pay me for it. But you know what? I won't take it. 
Because the ministry that I have with these people is so near and dear to my heart. I love it so much that I will get another job to pay my way. I just want to serve people for free so that no one can say that I'm in it for the money. Now do you see why Paul was so passionate about this rumor? His whole life was bound up in serving, serving the lost. Paul says there's nothing wrong with a paycheck, but I've never accepted a paycheck, and I don't want a paycheck. I serve, serve because I love it. Many of us, maybe all of us, have areas in our lives that we serve because we love to. Some of you this weekend spent all weekend helping someone move. Or you coordinated a wedding for somebody, and you're exhausted today. And yet when they offered to pay you, you said no. And the reason is because you love those people. And you're willing to spend your whole weekend helping them because you want to show them tangibly what's in your heart towards them. And some of you love to buy groceries for people who can't afford food and drop it off on their porch. And you'll never accept money for it. Some of you do it anonymously because you won't even accept recognition for it. Some of you serve in our homeless ministry, in our children's ministry, in our student ministry, in our greeting ministry. And if we came up and said, hey, how much do we owe you for your time in the parking lot today? You'd say, you can't, you can't pay me to be here. That takes all the fun out of it. Some of you are like, wait, you would pay us to do this? <laughs> we serve people because we love to serve and we love people. The Apostle Paul Practice that towards lost people. For us, evangelism seems different than that. Because if someone's out of gas and you bring them a gas can, they're thankful. But imagine if you went to the mall with a gas can and just started filling up people's cars with it. You might get a little pushback. The guy's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? As you're like trying to screwdriver open his Mercedes. uh, (laughs) Like, I'm giving gas, free gas today. It's like, don't put anything in my car, right? You go and you're just handing people gas at the, on the side of the road. Like, hey, who wants gas? Free gas. Stick this in your gas tank, right? People don't like that. Because they don't need gas. They don't think they need gas. And they don't want you to give something you claim is gas and pour it into their cars. <laughs> That's what evangelism feels like. It doesn't feel like helping the lady who's stranded on the side of the road. Evangelism feels like you're trying to put gas tank in someone's car who says, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. You go to your neighbor and says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And he says, no, thank you. Like, well, I want to. You go to a restaurant. You say, hey, waitress, come over here. Let me spend the next 20 minutes talking to you about Jesus while all the other tables are trying to get your attention. Like, please do not do that, she says. You go to the guy at work. Hey, I know you want to talk to me about your kids and all that, but let me tell you about Jesus, right? We kind of track bomb people and run away. And that doesn't work. So a lot of times we think, okay, we can serve people we love who need service, but the gospel seems different. And that's what I love about this passage. It's because Paul doesn't say, I go and I tell everyone about Jesus whether they want it or not. He says, even though I'm free and I'm a slave to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone in order that I might win some. He doesn't say, I tell everyone about Jesus. He says, I serve everyone. That's the strategy there on your outline. I serve all so that I might win 
some. Paul doesn't say, I hand out tracts to the Jews and to the Gentiles alike. He doesn't say, I walk into Jerusalem and talk about Jesus, and I walk into Athens and I talk about Jesus. Paul doesn't say, I get on the street corner of any town in any city in any place and tell the same story to whoever doesn't want to hear it. He says, I serve everyone. Because my prayer is that some people might be saved through my service. So when I go to Jerusalem, Paul says, even though I know that I can eat a pork sandwich if I want to, I don't eat pork in Jerusalem because the Jews think it's a sin and I don't want to make that the issue. And so I serve them like them. Because when I go to Athens, I don't talk about all the Jewish rituals and all of our past and all that kind of stuff, even though I believe it and I'm under the law of Christ. I become like them and I serve them so that I might win some of them. Just to the weak, people who are weak in whatever area they're weak, I become like them. I get down in the dirt with them so that I might save them. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some of them. That was Paul's strategy. I serve all so that I might win some. When you think of the lost people that exist around you, chances are they're very different from you. It's probably the reason that you don't spend a lot of time with the lost people at work, with the lost people in your neighborhood, even the lost people in your family. They have different priorities. They have different practices. They have different language. They have different likes and dislikes. You got a neighbor who just loves fishing. You don't care about fishing. And you think, I, I, don't, I don't know what I talked to that guy about. The Apostle Paul says, if I had a neighbor who liked fishing, I, I'd go buy a fishing pole. And I'd watch YouTube videos on fishing and figure it out. <laughs> or I'd go there and say, hey, I bought this pole. Can you teach me how to use it? I'd become like him because I want to build a friendship with him, not just because I want a buddy. Because I realize if I just go over there and just hand him a gospel tract, it, it may or may not work. But if I go and I step into his life and say, you know what, I care enough about you that I want to learn about you and live life with you as your friend for the rest of your life. And I'm praying that you come to know Jesus. That, that has a better chance of, of changing someone's eternal destiny. Paul says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some of them. You know who employed this strategy really well? Jesus. Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus, who is in his very nature God himself, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus, even though he could have just existed in heaven forever and let us all go to hell, he humbled himself, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant, and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. For us. That the way that Jesus saved us was he became like those he wished to save. Paul says, I do the same thing. I'll become like the Jews if I might save some Jews. I'll become like the Greeks if I might save some Greeks. I'll become like the weak if I might save some weeks. I'll do anything it takes. Because the gospel is worth it and they're worth it. Last week, we went on a retreat with our student ministry staff just to kind of hammer out what our main focus was going to be this year. 
as we work with junior high students and high school students and college students and young adults, what would be the one passion that we would all go after? And we agreed pretty quickly that our passion was we want to reach lost people. And not just we wanted our pastors to reach lost people. We wanted everyone reaching lost people. And so we said, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get to the point that we're reaching lost people? Because we're not very good at it a lot of the times. We decided the way, where it's going to start is we're going to adopt a strategy. Lost people first. So in whatever context you find yourself, your priority is lost people first. If you're at youth group on a Wednesday night and a new kid walks in the door, you have permission to spend all night talking to that new kid and completely ignore all the Christians around you. Because lost people come first. If you get two phone calls over five minutes of a kid who says, come to my soccer game, and he's a Christian, and a kid who says, come to my soccer game, and he's not a Christian, you're allowed to tell one guy, sorry, the other guy, see in ten minutes because lost people come first. If you're going and having dinner with your family on a Friday night, and a lost person calls and says, can I talk? You have permission to say, yes, because lost people come first. Sorry, families. And we said the only way that's going to happen is if we focus our lives on those lost people and say no to other things. Because I think a lot of the reasons that we're not able to say yes to the lost people is we say yes to Christians all the time. We'd love to take our neighbor out to dinner, but we're booked for like 17 solid weeks with all the Christians we know. We'd love to go to lunch with a coworker who doesn't know Christ, but we've got lunch dates with Christians every single day. We'd love to take that phone call from the non-Christian when he calls during dinner, but we say yes to every Christian that calls us, and our family is kind of out of bandwidth on the issue. If we're going to say yes to the lost, sometimes we're going to have to say no, say no to other things. Paul said, I'm free, I belong to no one, but I've enslaved myself to everyone so that I might win some of them. If we adopted a lost people first strategy in all of our lives, it would change the way that we viewed the people around us. And the lady who sits in the cubicle next to you, that every time you walk by, she tries to flag you down and tell you about, tell you about her dog or something. Like, are you serious? I can't look at another picture of your dog. And you walk the other way now to stay away from her. If you said, you know what, God, I'm putting lost people first, you know what you'd realize? That God is putting that lady in your life so that you'll stop and listen. If you're a contractor and there's that job site you hate going to because that owner is so angry, you could send other guys over there. Or you could say, you know what, God, maybe you put this guy in my life so that I might listen to him. Let him pour his wrath out on me. <laughs> and someday I'm praying that he'll say, hey, how come you never yell back? I've made your life miserable why are you still nice to me? Why are you still here? After showing you the umpteenth picture of her dog, maybe she'll say, you know what? Tell me about your life. What do you like to do? Maybe she won't. Paul says it doesn't matter. Because I make myself a slave to everyone. Because some of them, some of them are impacted for an eternity. What would your life look like if you did that? Who are the people who live around you, who work around you, who play around you, who are in your family that you might serve and pray like we talked about last week, that God would give you an opportunity 
to invite into his kingdom. We think of this video with Kevin Myers this morning. I said, yeah, I gave some resources to my dad. I prayed for my dad. I invited him to church and just little things. And one day God showed up. Kevin would be the first guy to say, "Ah, I didn't say anything special to make him get saved. God did it. But this passage tells us that God did it through Kevin's friendship and persistence and prayer. Putting his dad first. Before you get too far with your day today, answer that last question on your bulletin. Who can you serve? Who exists in your life that you can put first for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And when God starts working through that relationship, it's going to ignite a fire in you that you will not be able to stop. And it will change the course of your life and everyone's life that you impact for eternity. Let's pray and close this morning. This morning as we pray, the ushers are making their way forward to receive a benevolence offering. This is something that we do about once a month here at Neighborhood that allows us to put financial touch on people in our community who are unable to support themselves financially. People in our church, people in our neighborhood, So if today you feel compelled to give, that'll happen in a few minutes. But let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you put lost people first. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you were a God who, though you had every right to just squash us, you saved us. You served us. You put us before even yourself Though you deserve all the glory and honor and praise, you served us. We thank you that Jesus died and rose on our behalf. We pray that we would live like Jesus so that people might meet Jesus. That we would serve others and pour our lives out for others. So that you might reach people through us. We pray that you would get the glory and the honor and praise for that as people are changed for eternity because of your work through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.